am Dr. Thomas Slavin, Senior Vice President of Medical Affairs for Myriad Oncology. Welcome to Inside the Genome. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to today's podcast. Today, we have Dr. David Weintritt. He's a board-certified breast surgeon and founder of the National Breast Center and Foundation in Alexandria, Virginia. He has had a long career dedicated to helping women with breast cancer, and we're excited to have him on today, and we invited him to come talk to us about how coronavirus has been affecting the care of his patients and women in this country with breast cancer. So thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Uh, thank you. It's great to connect. It's a different world we're living in, but it's one where our mission still has to go on, so appreciate the opportunity. Well, let's just jump in. I mean, I think our listeners would like to get a good sense of kind of what your typical practice was pre-coronavirus and maybe what it looks like these days. Sure. Our mission and focus has always been to impact breast cancer any way we can. And obviously, in some situations, that's a patient who has a new diagnosis of cancer that we need to treat. And a lot of times, it's been helping others or they're referring doctors. They're worried about an element of risk, a new finding or needing just a more focused exam and explanation of what their problem is. So there's a big component that involves genetic risk assessment and obviously started a telegenetics program way before this even happened. And it's been great that we've relied on that very heavily in this, I guess, during coronavirus situation, because we found it one of the few ways we can continue to provide the same level of care we could beforehand. I would say now we're seeing about a third of our normal volume. It's a mixture of some new patients, you know, really those who feel a lump or have some active problem since there's no routine screening being done. We'll have some patients who are follow-ups that have active issues that's needed to still come in to monitor. And we have patients who were diagnosed with cancer right around the time the restrictions started that are having their surgeries or follow-ups after their surgery. Have you expanded significantly your telemedicine practice? We have. I was really worried when all this started and still am that immediately we had this order to distance ourselves. And I was worried that patients would be at home, not seeking help, not knowing what they should come to us for, or whether we were even open to, be, to help see them. And telemedicine has created a really important bridge that allows us to visit with them uh, whenever they need to, when they need our help. We can answer their questions and concerns, and it really helps us then identify what issues really need an office visit. What's your current setup for telemedicine? Do you have patients, you have a virtual waiting room, or are you just contacting patients? I'm assuming you have this set up as uh, clinic visits. We have patient visits scheduled months sometimes even over a year in advance, um, and even some new patients. And so I instructed my staff to basically offer telemedicine for everybody, for situations where patients may not have felt comfortable or someone may be demonstrating symptoms and the staff wasn't comfortable with the patient coming in. So we, we try and apply it for everyone, at least as an initial filter. And I found that for the most part, any version of communication, and I think telemedicine is more than cursory, where we can review patient images, pathology reports, and get a real good feel for what their issue is, allows us to kind of prioritize their visit and help address the issues that they have. And they've loved it. For the most part, initially it was everyone was in shock and didn't feel like they could leave their home. Mm -hmm. And so it's allowed us to help address their issues. Where we are, we would have limitations with patients with appointments because of their work schedule or 
where they lived relative to the time of the day and traffic. And so it's dealt with a lot of those issues. The experience on both sides has been great. I think beforehand, I was always a little bit biased against the teleconferencing concept, especially if we were in a work meeting where multiple people would be involved and it seemed like nobody knew, is it my turn to talk yet or who's next? But when you can look at someone face-to-face on a screen versus an exam room, it's a very clean dialogue. It's worked out really well. I also was concerned and maybe initially never felt really certain when I would talk to someone by phone that they were getting it. When you can see someone's face, I know that, I mean, I won't know when they're paying attention, but I can also get that sense that the recommendations we're making are sitting with them well. Mm -hmm. It's not just a cursory, okay, doctor, yes, doctor. Whatever plan we make is one that certain and clear and understanding the purpose of the visit was achieved. What types of uh, visits have you been doing by telemedicine primarily in your practice? We have been offering telemedicine for essentially every component of visit. Now, there are some that clearly are better than others. We're not actually doing surgery clearly with telemedicine, but a new patient who wants to determine how significant and timely it is for them to come in, telemedicine. For a patient who is a follow-up and they want to review the results of their biopsy or their pathology, telemedicine. If a patient has a question about their incision, they're otherwise feeling well, it's fine to do that via telemedicine. And when it comes to genetics, my PA was asked me the other day, why have we not been doing this for patients who yeah. you know, were following up to review right. the results of their genetic testing? It, it really, it applies to everybody. Yeah, but the, the biggest thing, keep the patient's need and the resources that are available to them connected and to not, for them not to have this sense of desperation and desperation and the telemedicine concept connects it, provides that bridge and the continuum of care, which is critical. We're, we're sitting around wanting to make sure people are taken care of. But I had a patient who I connected with today who is beyond anxious based upon the current situation and the sense of a new problem. And it was so easy for us to sort out yeah. with the initial visit that it's proven time and time right. again to be a great answer. One of the other issues I always struggled with in the past was I had my regular schedule and then I had this list of patients to call either mm-hmm. before or after. Right. And the, the telemedicine concept of actually putting it on the schedule, the patient mm-hmm. actually knows when I'm going to call them. Yeah. I don't forget to call them because it's on the schedule and we have a much more meaningful encounter. How has it been affecting your breast surgery? We've definitely had to take into account a couple of things. One obviously would be preservation of resources. And there's also been statewide mandates in regards to the types of surgeries that we can do and, and when we can resume more elective operations. Relative to our cancer patients, we have been forced to provide only critically necessary surgeries. And so certain options when it comes to more elaborate versions of reconstruction have actually had to be delayed or postponed. Patients who are having preventative mastectomies or contralateral symmetry procedures um, are not able to have those done at this time. So it's been a real impact, but I would say patients are aware of the reason and they're certainly complying. Obviously, they're still focused as we are on treating their cancer. And then our goal is to make sure that whatever step we're allowed to do at this point in time fits in well with what they're 
view of long-term success is. Now, you're clearly a busy breast surgeon. How, how did you implement this in your practice? I mean, who, what team members did you pull in? And I mean, I would think that, yeah, this was a lot to work out both upfront on how this right. is going to you know, get scaled up. You're already doing it a little bit, but still there was a lot to probably sort out to start offering it to everyone. And then also, you know, on, on billing and coding and, you know, working through all these kind of issues. Right. All hands on deck. We have, as a group, we have a chief information officer in a billing department. We relied on them to tell us what is the framework that you'll consider appropriate for us to engage with patients. And once we made sure that it was a platform that I felt was appropriate in regards to the expectation of the patients and the ease of use on our end, then I had everyone in the office trained from the office manager to the medical assistants to the front desk individuals, because the the only way to really mess this up would be for a patient to be scheduled with an appointment type that maybe wasn't appropriate for them or for someone to um, feel like there was a limitation or an issue in, in place that wasn't there. And so I had everyone early on uh, become aware of the kind of visits that were appropriate for telemedicine. We made sure we incorporated a HIPAA compliant version. So as a result of that, we kept our regular schedule. We didn't have to change a thing. All no. we have to do is designate whether someone's physically coming in or whether they're a telemedicine appointment and we just work through the schedule like we did before. Wow, that's great. So when patients contact your office now, they are just given the option, do you want this to be a telemedicine or in-person? Correct. And they'll check with me. I tell them again, if there's a doubt at all, we do the first visit via telemedicine and it allows us to then prioritize what has to happen. And the patients then feel very comfortable that in some cases it's fine that they don't come in And when we identify a situation they really need to, they know that it's not a trivial issue and that they're more than happy. And we can also explain to them the precautions that we're taking here in the office to provide them a safe encounter. Before the visit, is there anything that they need to do at home? We send them paperwork as we would all new patients where they can fill out. Um, We do a bit more on the consenting and and having them aware of the um, technological requirements or technical requirements for telemedicine so that their time of their encounter actually goes smoothly, that they download the appropriate software and and everything is all set. I have very motivated staff and and they make sure they're very good at explaining things to our patients and so far it's gone very well. Now that, you know, we're entering this different era and it's a little unforeseen. We don't really know that, you know, some states are starting to come back online, but we'll have to see how all that works. And clearly cancer centers, we have a vulnerable population in the first place that we're taking care of. How do you think this is going to change either in the long term or possibly indefinitely your practice? I hope it stays because if there's one thing I've learned, patients love options. One size does not fit all when it comes to treating individuals, it's not appropriate for how we engage with helping patients. I think the more options we have, the better. I think the biggest issue that I see is going to be insurance coverage. Mm -hmm. The technology clearly is there. Uh, There's definitely a need for it. For the appropriate visits, we can offer a very high level of care. The key is going to be if the rules of engagement determined by payers, Medicare, private insurance companies will allow us to continue to have this as a viable way of taking care of patients. 
that that will be the question how this persists afterwards <laughs> um, and I, I think uh, you know we're, we're learning as a country that this is really you know for for a lot of visits telemedicine is a fantastic option not only for patients but also uh, for providers and it may allow you know more frequent check-ins I mean there, there could be a lot of uh, potential uses of this uh, have you noticed any barriers getting patients the imaging they need you know with everything going on at the moment there has been used to be the only thing patients worried about for imaging and diagnostics and other tests would be time of the day, which facility was closest to their home. A lot of the hospital-based services stopped seeing outpatients. And so we've had to navigate a bit, staying in contact as best we can with the resources that we normally use, those for diagnostic imaging, whether it's mammography, MRI, PET scans, just uh, regular calls, just like we have been with our referring doctors of, how are you guys doing? Is there anything that, you know, else that we can do to help out? And bottom line, you know, we all signed up to take care of patients. This has a, been a, really, a real logistical challenge and a stress for all of us. And it's our job to, like you just said, to find out whatever barriers exist and make them go away. And fortunately, the key services that need to be provided for our patients have been available. It's just been a little trickier getting them connected. You know, on that same theme, I mean, you've been on the cutting edge of, you know, adding genetics into your practice. Has, you know, have you had any changes in that process flow? Because, uh, you know, a lot of times that requires sending and coordinating kits to external labs and, you know, different things right. to keep, keep your practice innovative. Well, I think it's been great. We started doing a telegenetics program in our office two years ago because the demand for a high level of genetic counseling and testing, patients having direct access to certified genetic counselors overwhelmed the resources that we could provide within our office on a daily basis. And fortunately, I've had two years to see how successful that is in compliance with patients, in getting information to them quicker and us getting the results quicker. And so one of the blessings of this downtime and this forced separation is it's given me an opportunity to actually do some, have conversations and do some training with other groups that I know could or should or are interested in helping patients when it comes to genetic risk assessment, but maybe not knowing all the options that existed and sharing with them our experiences and the capabilities that a telegenetics program have to offer. And within just these last two or three weeks, we, I think we've been able to lay the groundwork for an access to testing during COVID-19, and most importantly for years and years after, which are finally going to be an accelerate this process of getting information to this massive number of individuals in the U.S. and worldwide who qualify for counseling and testing, but they're not currently aware. And we don't want to sit by idly, but we also don't want to have patients go maybe and get a mammogram right now when it may not mm -hmm. be safe for them and it's a right. screening study. So we look at work that we can achieve that's as the same level of science but can be delivered directly into patients' homes. Yeah. And it's the only thing I can think of that fits that bill. And so the, you know, the doctors are very excited, number one, to learn more about genetics and number two, to have a way to actually care for their patients at this point in time when we're separated. Do you have any tidbits for anybody that's, uh, you know, going out there and trying to coordinate telemedicine practice right now? First, even the acknowledgement that understand the importance of genetic testing. 
the first thing I would recommend is to number one, make sure that when they're engaging with you, either someone on our end who are trying to create better outreach for patients and access for patients to make sure everyone understands the importance. Secondly, is to understand the limitations. For there to be a sustainable solution, it has to be a simple and effective solution. It's to spend time looking at what is your goal, what are your resources, and what model best fits you. Practices and providers that are interested, all they have to do is just look at what their capabilities are and which model best fits them, and they can get involved. Yeah, it's a very different climate than it was uh, this time last year. Being able to ship kits and uh, saliva samples directly to patients' homes, they can package them up themselves, they can send them off. There's pre-test education that they can access easily now uh, and post-test going through results with genetic counseling, people over the phone. Uh, It's just a different world and hopefully it will essentially drive genetics in this country uh, faster than it has been to date. Hopefully this will be a big thing that comes out of the coronavirus pandemic. Clearly the, the model that has existed prior to this has succeeded in some cases, but failed in, in many more. It's not the intent or the capabilities, it's just been the way that patients are informed and the type of care they have access to. So this change has been a long time coming and I'm sure it's gonna make a huge impact for the good of these doctors and their patients. We're all trying to help our patients, so that's great. Great pleasure having Dr. Weintrip on the phone today. He is, uh, you know, really just on the front lines helping women with breast cancer and their families. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Dr. Slavin, appreciate it as always. Stay well and look forward to our continued work and connecting in the future.